0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible gift you have given us uh, in salvation, in uh, your word, in the Holy Spirit, but also in a community of fellow believers that share this journey together and together make up uh, what you call the body of Christ. Lord, it's such a strange and incredible thing, and and I don't begin to understand it all. But somehow together we are Jesus in this world, in all of our various parts, as we come together in unity and serve one another and teach and grow each other up in Christ. Lord, we pray that this morning you would speak to us and teach us, help us to understand uh, this glorious thing that we're all a part of called the church and uh, to be thankful for the gifts you have given. And we just honor and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We, of course, are not covering this whole passage. We looked uh, two weeks ago at verses 1 through 6, where Paul really urges us as believers, as a body of Christ, to exercise patience with each other because of our immaturity. And so we need gifts and abilities like humility, Friendliness, kindness, patience, and the best one of all, suffering longness, or long sufferingness, which means the ability to put up with all the jerks around you who are immature, right? Because we ourselves are the picture of maturity and godliness, and so God has granted us the task of being patient with all those immature people around us who are always messing up, right? Uh, and of course. It is a crucial part of what it means to be in community in the church. To exercise and practice uh, patience, forbearing, and love each other. uh, Because we're all not there. We're not all instantly godlike or godly. But uh, as we kind of left it there in the middle of, of this passage. And Paul doesn't leave it there. The goal of the church and of Christianity is not to have... A group of people who are continually and forever immature who have to just put up with each other. All right? God's plan is not that we all live in, like three-year-olds forever. Okay? His, his goal is that we would become mature. And as he unfolds in the rest of the passage, he talks about this church, this body of Christ that grows up into maturity in the fullness and likeness of Christ who exercises and possesses all the qualities and characteristics of Jesus himself. Uh so how do you get that you know on the one hand we put up with each other's immaturity but the goal is also to help each other grow into maturity in Christ the good news is that then we don't have to put up with each other as much and we should be a joy to be with each other you know if we mature and grow uh we ought to be the kind of body that actually enjoys each other not just has to put up with each other right uh so that's that's the goal and uh in this he really some very powerful pictures or make some very strong declarations about what the church is. Uh, we won't do this this morning, but if I were to ask you, what is the church? How would you define it? I've asked a lot of people that question, and it's very interesting the answers. And uh, everybody knows the word comes from the gr- Greek word that means assembly, and so we all know that it has something to do with assemblies, right? And we think of school, and school assemblies meant you didn't have to be in class and they were fun. So we like assemblies, right? Uh, but other than that, you know, what is the church? Well, it is the, God's people, it's the body of Christ, it's, it's uh, the redeemed. Uh, we all know that the church is not what happens on Sunday morning. We say we're going to church. Uh, it's really kind of a mislabel because we're not really going to church. We are the church, right? It just happens that on Sunday morning we all end up kind of in the same place for a while. But we're the church throughout the week, all right? And from Sunday to Saturday, every day, we are the church. And the church is more than just a meeting on Sunday morning. Uh, we also call this a wor- worship service. Maybe that's more accurate, because this is not really the church. We are the church. But what what is the church, besides just people who are saved? Is there is that all it is? Does that mean any time four Christians are together driving in a car, it's it's the church? What does it mean? Well, Paul really explains that as he spells out his model for what I call church growth. And sorry, I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. I had some other technical difficulties that I couldn't do that. So um, my title of the message is Church Growth. And I don't mean by that necessarily growing big churches, but maturing churches, growing churches into a body of believers who are mature in Christ. So let's look at this. Uh, We're not going to look all the way through verse 16 this week. We're going to begin... with God's gift, so the first point: uh, churches grow by the authority of Christ. Okay, church growth is ultimately a function and a ministry of Jesus Himself. All right, and the good news in this is that ultimately we are not the final, uh, final ones responsible for church growth or for growing and maturing ourselves. Ultimately, Jesus does this first through His own work on the cross, his own resurrection, but then also in equipping and leading and nurturing and directing the church. So he says in verse 7, uh, that the, he has given, Jesus has given to each one of us a gift through the generosity or through the measure of the gift of Christ, literally. Um, he gives gifts to the church. Um, now, when we think of that, when we read in fact, kind of the way the New Living has translated that, uh, it says that he's given to each one of us a special gift. kind of misses the, the real meaning of the verse a little bit. Uh, and, it, and it does bring to mind other passages like Romans and Corinthians, where, where we know that the Holy Spirit has given to each of us a spiritual gift. And we know some of those lists. In Romans it talks about things like wisdom, knowledge, uh Faith, healing, prophecy, tongues, interpretation. I'm sorry, that's the Corinthians list. In Romans, it talks about prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging others, giving, administration, kindness. I like that. Did you know that kindness is a spiritual gift? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, Some people have the gift. Others just don't. <laughs> um, hospitality, mercy. Okay, those are all spiritual gifts. Uh, Literally, the word that Paul uses here is the word grace. And some translations actually retain that word. It says, God has given us grace according to the measure of Christ. The word grace is the Greek word charis. Uh, in First in, in Corinthians, the word gifts is charisma. And it's a, it's a slightly different form of the same exact word. And when you think about the word grace, what is grace? Well, grace is getting something you don't deserve, right? Grace has in its very root idea the idea of getting a gift, okay, and specifically a gift in terms of salvation, a gift we don't deserve. So the idea of grace and gift are very close. And in this context, Paul certainly is using it with the idea of a gift, okay, of, of a gift that's given to the church. Um, and then to explain himself, he, he uh, quotes Psalm 68:18. Uh, when he ascended, and this is great, you know, theologians, Bible scholars love verses like this because it keeps them employed. Uh, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. And then Paul goes on and explains himself. What does ascended mean except that he descended to the lowest parts, and the one who descended is the one who ascended higher than the highest heaven so that he fills all things with himself. Oh, that just clears it up perfectly, Right? Wow, what in the world is he talking about? Um, Well, Psalm 68, if you go back and read it, is a psalm that talks about God uh, coming up into his temple, uh, bringing a victorious procession in victory to the temple mount, and entering his temple and his majesty and his glory. And it's this picture of this long train or parade being led with him of his captives, uh, now there's lots of questions. Who are the captives? Who's the train? How did he capture them? Right. Uh, the focus and emphasis and the reason Jesus... Uh, Jesus, um, Paul quotes this psalm is for the last line, and he gave gifts to men. Well, my problem is in the in in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, it actually says he received gifts from men. Okay, so that causes a whole other set of problems if you want to wrestle with all the theological nuances of this. Um... Let me give you the short version. And, and I didn't come up with this on my own. I'm not that smart. There's a guy, uh, who, who, his last name is Smith, a, who wrote a very good analysis of this passage. And he says that Psalm 68 actually links back to Numbers 18. And Numbers 18.6 says this. i it's speaking of the Levites and, and Aaron and the priesthood. And it's giving this whole explanation in Numbers 18 about how the priests would serve Israel in the temple. And Numbers 18.6 says this, I myself have chosen your fellow Levites from among Israel to be your special assistants. They are a gift to you, the, the, dedicated to the Lord for service in the tabernacle. A lot of the language in Psalm 68 and, and Numbers 18 uh, match up, and there's a very strong case that, that that's the context of it. And if that's true, it kind of helps us explain and figure out what he's talking about here. The the idea is that in the Old Testament, the Israelites saw the Levites as a special people called out, given to Israel to serve God, doing the tasks of ministry in the temple. Right? And if you remember, uh God God owned the firstborn sons of Israel, right? And because of, of what he did to redeem them from Egypt, uh he spared all their firstborn sons. And so he said, your firstborn sons are mine. But here, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal. Uh, You can redeem your firstborn sons, and in their place, I will choose Aaron and the Levites to minister in the temple and perform the duties and tasks of serving uh, to make your, your religious life possible. Okay, so your fellowship, your communion, your worship in the temple will be administered and carried out By the Levites. So they were dedicated, set aside for the special task and ministry of serving God in the temple. And, uh, you know, it meant that they got really fun jobs like slaughtering animals, cleaning up, you know, basically they were butchers, uh, like in a meat packing plant, processing these animals for the sacrifice. They hauled water, because it took, you know, huge amounts of water, so they got to the great job of Lugging, you know, water, carrying firewood, great stuff, okay? Uh, they, they were afforded a position of, of honor, but a lot of it was just hard work serving Israel, so that when they came to worship, there was nice little piles of firewood and nice little barrels of water, and there were people there to help, you know, take care of killing their sacrifices, and, and it made everything happen in the temple, right? Well, when we kind of see that context, uh, as Paul quotes it here, it's clear that the gift that God is talking about is not so much spiritual gifts, although he does give those, as much as it is, is people. Okay, when, when he says he gives gifts to the church, what he means is he gives people to the church to serve in the church and do ministry. All right, As we see down farther, that kind of makes more sense and fits. Um, so God has given gifts, that is people, to the church to serve and minister and equip it to do the task of ministry so that we can all uh, worship, all come together and be ministered to and blessed uh, as God gifts his church. Now, uh, he goes on and he explains in, in the next verse that the gifts he's given, he says he's given apostles, he's given prophets, he's given evangelists, he's given pastors or shepherds and teachers. And so, certainly one group that he has in mind as a gift to the church are those specially called apart to lead and serve in the church as, as leaders teaching the Word of God. All right? Uh, that means, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't really feel comfortable with this, but it means that I am God's special gift to you. Okay? Now, yeah, well, actually, you know, I don't like being a special gift. If you don't know the truth of it all, it's not, it's not something I want. <clears throat> and it reminds me, because the deal is, when we are called on and given a special gift, it's a responsibility to do something for the benefit of others. It's not a position about authority or glory or anything for ourselves. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, when, when, some, when my, my daughter and son-in-law got their kids a puppy for Christmas or their birthday or something, and the puppy was a gift to the children. That was a great gift from the parents. And it's not such a great deal for the dog. <laughs> okay? If you are the gift, um, there are drawbacks, right? Uh, so, so it's this duty. It's this, and a certain burden that comes with being a gift to carry out a ministry to somebody else. It, it, it really does put me in mind when I was a kid. Uh, I experienced this maybe the first time when uh, I had to go to one of the very first weddings I had ever gone to as a child. I was maybe 9 or 10, 8 years old, I'm not sure. And uh, I was a very close friend of our family. And for some reason, my dad was not able to go. So he sent me as a gift, right, with the responsibility of kind of representing the family as the oldest son, 8 years old, at the wedding. And I had the job, the task, the burden... He says, I want you my dad told me these words. He says, I want you to give the bride a kiss. And I just I mean, I just started shaking. It was horrifying, horrifying. And I knew I had to do this. And I took my job very seriously. And I just remember I worried about this thing, I mean, for you know, the whole wedding service. And I remember having at the reception line having to to give this girl a kiss. It was the most horrible thing ever. And uh, I did it painfully, right? So so some things about being a gift that are, that are not, not always what you want. And the, the important thing is to know that this gift comes from Christ. Okay, the important thing is that God Himself is doing this. Jesus is doing this, right? He raises up leaders, He raises up and equips certain people uh, to be a gift of equipping His church. Okay, and it's true, he he mentions this list of pastors and teachers and evangelists. But the reality is that as he goes on, and and in verse 7, the context here is that he's speaking of everybody. Okay, all of us. And as you look on down through the rest of the passage, it becomes very clear that he identifies leaders with a unique role that they have. But when he's talking about God's gift to the church, he's talking about everybody. You also, not just me, but you also are God's special gift to the church. And one of the things that, that Paul emphasizes in this passage is that the growth and maturity of the body of Christ depends on all the members ministering and serving. So unlike the Levites who were a special tribe called out of Israel, uh, you know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter that we are all a royal priesthood a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, we are together all called to ministry uh, to serve one another in in ministering and building up the church. So ministry and service and and this giftedness is not only something pastors are, you also are a gift in the same exact way to this fellowship here, to the places where you serve, to the church, uh, the larger church that's part of a city or a nation or the world. All right? We all are God's gift to the church, and all of us have a unique and special place, ministry, and function that the rest of the body depends on for its growth and maturity. Okay, an important uh, side principle of this is that your spiritual growth and maturity is not just a matter between you and God. Okay, so many of us, especially from Western cultures, have a very individualistic idea about how everything works. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm like the living epitome of this kind of thinking, and it's how I was trained and raised up. That I can do it myself, right? It's me, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to read whatever books, I'm going to do whatever I have to. But it's just me and God, and my spiritual growth and maturity is something I'm going to do, in and of myself. Well, Paul makes it very clear: if it's just you, you're never going to get mature, right? And people are going to just put up with you forever right and we don't want that. Uh, your spiritual growth and maturity is a team project right and all of us are dependent on each other to grow and mature together to reach all that God wants us to be in Christ and together to be the body of Christ functioning as a community of believers who represent Christ in the world. Um, he caps up this section by saying, that uh, Jesus, well, he says this another really great confusing passage. He says Jesus, notice it says he ascended. This clearly means Christ descended, and the one who descended is the one who ascended uh, into heavens above all the heavens, so that he might fill everything with himself. Um, again, a very confusing passage. It, it 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 doesn't need to be as complicated as it is though. What is Jesus' descent? Well, sadly, way, way back a long time ago, the Catholics thought this must mean hell, that somehow Jesus descended into hell. Not true. Okay, Jesus did not. Well, I don't know if he did or not, but that's not what it's talking about in this passage. Uh, Most certainly, he's talking here about his leaving heaven and coming to the low place of earth. Humbling himself, becoming a servant, like it says in Philippians, taking on the form of a slave, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Okay, he descended, he came down to earth, he took on human form, he died for us, then he rose again, and, as it says in Ephesians one, he ascended to heaven, where he sits now above every single power and authority, good and evil in all in all places and in all time and all space okay that's his ascension, and in fact. Uh, Paul writes some very similar things in Ephesians 1 where he says, um, God, in verse 20, He raised Him from the dead, seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He is above every rule, power, authority, or leader, anything else, not only in this world but in, in the heavenly realms. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. What's the significance of all that? Uh, Bottom line is this. The filling, when it speaks of Christ's filling, it really is speaking of his authority over all things. Jesus doesn't mean necessarily that he fills all space, although God is infinite, he's He is in all places and all time. But that's not really what it's speaking of here. The focus and emphasis is on Jesus ascending to the place of authority and dominion over all things. Every power, principality over all all evil, over all rulers, over all kingdoms. Jesus fills it with Himself. In other words, He comes in. When He comes in, He takes possession of all that He fills. And He fills everything and he owns everything, he is ruler, he has sovereign rights over everything. And the reality is that Jesus is, even now, bringing all things under his dominion and authority through the work of the, of the cross and through the power of the resurrection. Uh, in the context here, he's speaking specifically of the church, and it echoes what he just said in, in Ephesians 1, that Christ is filling all things for the benefit of the church who he fills with his fullness. What all that means, and what I think Paul is trying to paint a picture of, is that the church is the body of Christ. He fills and possesses it. He is over it. He is concerned about it. He rules it. He governs it. He leads it and he directs it. What it means is this. It doesn't mean Jesus is in heaven and, boy, he sure wishes he could be in charge of stuff. Okay, Like if these people would just cooperate, then God could be in control and be sovereign. That's not what it says. It says He fills it. He controls it. He governs it. It is God's church. It is His thing. It is His number one priority and program in, in, on planet earth. Okay, his number one concern is the growth and maturity and building up of the body of Christ. That is why Jesus died. That is why He rose again. It's what He ascended to heaven to achieve and complete. And God's purpose and program in the world is building up and establishing his church uh, to be his agent in the world, bringing his message of salvation and redemption to the lost. Okay. In other words, it's the church is really important to God. Okay. Bottom line, it is his program, and he is careful to be hands-on in its direction and operation. So when it says he gives gifts to get, he gives gifts to the church. When He appoints and calls out people for certain tasks and ministries, it's Jesus Himself that's doing that. All right, so uh, you are where you are by God's call and direction. You are serving the church in the way you serve it by God's leading and ordaining purpose. All right, uh, we don't have the option. Sorry, you know, in our in our very democratic world, we want we want choice. You know, we want to do what we want to do. It doesn't work that way. Now the good news, I think God puts desires in our heart and when we submit and follow His will and His program, He gives us the desires of our heart. He unleashes us in places where we have a longing and a passion. But He's the one sovereignly over it all. all Alright? And it's His program. Second point, he goes on from there and he talks about He says, you know, Jesus is growing his church. And he does it, interestingly, through human agency. Now, it's a good thing God is wise, smart, and all-powerful, and he knows what he's doing. Because, in my opinion, this is really a bad idea. Uh, If I were God, I would keep people out of this. Because I don't think it's such a great idea. But he says... Uh, I've given gifts to men, and I have basically left the maturity and growth of my body up to people to do. Now, he's given us some very special gifts to do this. Of course, his grace at work in our own lives of saving us is a work that he does. The power of the cross in our lives transforming us is a work that, that God does in us. We've been given the Holy Spirit who has given us special abilities and gifts, who guides us into understanding, who illuminates Scripture, who empowers us. So we have this working of the Holy Spirit uh, equipping and preparing us for this work. But he says, in the end, the growing of my body, the the, the growth of the church, is something I am handing over to you to do to yourself. Okay, and a lot of us look around at churches and we go, yeah, pretty much we have done it to ourselves, right? Um, But it's God's plan. It is God's purpose that His people work together in unity of faith and love, to mature and grow and build up the church. All right? And he, he, uh, he splits it into two areas, uh, two functions, if you will, that this growing process takes place. And the first he names uh, key leader roles. He says, I've given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors, and teachers. Uh, and let's look at those real briefly, real briefly, what, what these are. First, he talks about apostles. What's an apostle? Well, um, uh, the apostle can have really three meanings in Scripture, three usages. Here he is, and throughout Ephesians, in Ephesians 2.20 and in 3.5, he talks about the foundation of the church being the apostles and the prophets. Uh, Paul, uh, in Ephesians, uses the word to speak of The original witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The original founding group uh, who were called out with a special ministry of verifying their personal witness of what Jesus did. Uh, The the, the 12 and, and another kind of associated larger band of people who really are the foundation of the church. And they are foundational because of what they taught and wrote and recorded about the person and work of Christ. And their, their teaching and their writing, their work, has special authority. So we can read the Gospel of Matthew, and it is authoritative, okay? They were given a special role, a special empowering of the Holy Spirit to record clearly and exactly who Jesus was and what he did. Okay, nobody else can duplicate that ministry. Sorry, Joseph Smith, but you can't write later versions of the Bible, Okay? There was one set of apostles who had the the right and privilege to do that. Okay, we can't write scripture anymore, right? We we don't have that calling now. Are there still modern day apostles? Uh, possibly. This passage doesn't really speak to that, although I would like to speak to it off the record. Okay. Uh, okay. In other words, this has nothing to do with biblical authority. So you can take it or leave it. Uh, there's a growing move and trend in in our modern world of people who are self-claimed apostles, okay? And uh, a lot of them are teaching and and pro- proposing kind of crazy things, all right. Okay. I think most of them are just nutcases. There's one particular group of super apostles, in fact. Okay, they're not just apostles, they're super apostles. Because apostles are not high enough, you know. We gotta be super apostles. I think they've been watching too much TV, right? too many Superman shows. Right? Uh, be careful about some of that stuff. Okay? And what I found is that in Scripture, the, the concept of Apostle is given very little attention and very little description. Okay? It doesn't actually teach a lot about who they are or what they do. And so what happens is, is people who want to be self claimed somebodies make up stuff, and they, it's a convenient label. They make up stuff that has nothing to do with the Bible, and they call themselves an apostle. All right, be careful. Uh, and I'm not going to judge, you know, it's between them and God if they are apostle, not apostle, whatever. But I do know this: anybody who's truly an apostle will teach the Word of God clearly and directly. That's the point. They will teach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point. Okay, these are men who proclaimed the Gospel, in its core, foundational. Uh, content for the church. secondly, prophets. He says God gave prophets. Also, in this context, and again, it's not that there's not modern day prophets or that there's not a gift of prophecy uh, there is, Uh, but in this context, Paul uses the word to talk about those who are foundational in the writing of Scripture and in the early foundation and teaching of the church. Uh, Again, he links it in uh, chapter 3 and chapter 2, Apostles and prophets; those given the responsibility of laying the bedrock of, of teaching of truth about who Jesus is and what he did. Um, they were significant. The prophets always spoke with divine authority. Okay, they are people who speak for God. Uh, they have a unique. A true prophet has a unique claim to inspired authority. That's why you've got to be careful if you say you're a prophet, okay? Because you are claiming biblical authority, all right? You are saying, "God, thus saith the Lord. Now, you know, sometimes I teach things that are from the Bible. Sometimes I share things that I hope are helpful. Sometimes I just share kind of off-the-wall things that, you know, probably don't mean anything to anybody. Because I'm not a prophet, okay? If prophets share meaningful off-the-wall things, you're supposed to stone them. Preachers, you just laugh, okay? All right, so see the difference, Alright, you can laugh at preachers, you don't laugh at prophets. You either weep in their presence or you stone them. Alright? Kind of the way it works. So it's a serious ministry. And uh and Paul's talking here about those who spoke prophetically God's word, much of it recorded. Paul was certainly an apostle slash prophet. And we count his words as from God himself. We don't pick and choose the parts of Paul we like. Okay? It is gospel authoritative word of God, power, all right? In every word. He talks about evangelists. Uh uh evangelist literally means good news teller, all right, one who tells the good news. Now sadly in our modern context, we have attached this label to people like Billy Graham and others who have the task and ministry of telling the gospel to non believers. And we've Uh, I don't know where this came from, we kind of come up with this idea that the gospel is for unsaved people, not for saved people. You need the gospel before you know Jesus. After you get saved, you don't need the gospel anymore, apparently. Um, It's not true. We we need the gospel, okay? The gospel actually is more for us than for unbelievers. Because unbelievers don't get it. They don't understand the gospel. Now, of course, it is by the good news of Jesus Christ that they come into the church, so it's important. And it is... Uh, And there are those specially called with a ministry to share, and especially gifted, to share with unbelievers. However, that's actually the job of the whole church. One of the reasons it's vital that the church become mature is so that it will be a witness to the lost world. Here's the deal. If the church were more Christ-like, people would be drawn to it with much more compelling force. The reason people aren't drawn is because they don't see a church that's mature. They see people fighting and bickering and not tolerating each other, not loving each other. And you know, they can get that anywhere. They don't necessarily need to go to church for that. Right? You can watch it on TV, right? Uh, It's important that the gospel be taking root in the body of Christ. And so an evangelist, as it's used here by Paul, is not necessarily somebody... In fact, he says here... But these gifts were given for the building up and edification of the church. One of the primary ministries of an evangelist, of a gospel preacher, is to the body of Christ. To make sure that the gospel is filling every part of our life and being. That our churches, our lives, our families are are significantly invaded and built upon the truth of the gospel, the full message of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is not about just getting saved, getting our sin taken care of, and then living however we want. The gospel ought to be pervading every part of our life. Okay, that's the that's the gospel. Uh, third or fourth category is uh, shepherds. Uh, there's some g- Greek grammatical issues here. It could be shepherd-pastor, pastor-shepherd-teacher. Uh, it could be two separate groups, those who are shepherds, those who are teachers. It <coughs> um, doesn't really matter. The point is, Shepherds are those who lead the sheep, lead the church. And the focus of their leading, again, is is teaching the Word of God. Okay, the main job of a shepherd is what? Organizing the sheep in nice straight rows? No. It's taking the sheep where the food is. Okay, Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. He didn't say, entertain my sheep, keep my sheep occupied, keep my sheep out of trouble. He said, feed my sheep. Right. So the main job of a shepherd is feeding the sheep. Right? That's the job of a, main job of a pastor. He also has a role of protecting the flock from, uh, and, and he talks about that later on about false teaching, false doctrine, helping guide the church into truth. Uh, finally, um, he talks about teachers. Uh, I believe all shepherds must be teachers. Not all teachers are shepherds. And I'm very thankful for teachers, for Bible scholars, for those who teach their word through books and through other means that aren't necessarily pastors but are very good teachers. Otherwise, I I would have no idea what to do with, you know, when he ascended and descended and giving gifts to men. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. So I'm thankful for teachers who are scholars who study and research this stuff. And it makes me look good on Sunday morning because I can sound like I really know stuff. I don't know anything. I just read what other people know, right? So I'm thankful for the gift of teachers, right? who help us, right? Um, the, the point is this. With all these gifts, the significant thing to see is that the focus of it all is what? Teaching the Word. Teaching the Word, teaching the Word. Okay, the key role of the, of the leaders of the church, their job, their role, their calling, their purpose, their function, whether they get paid or not paid, or volunteer, whether it's a position or not a position, whatever you want to call it, however it works out, Leaders in the church are primarily those who teach God's word uh, to His people. All right, if you're in a church where that's you know not what the leaders do, uh, you need to you need to find a prophet and talk to the prophet, tell him to go confront you know those leaders. Right. Uh, on top of that, if that's the key thing that God has given His gifts. Leaders, key people who teach the word, then what should be one of the main things that that, that a church is about? Well, it ought to be about teaching the word. Um, it ought to be about instructing people in God's truth. That ought to be a chief uh, activity of what the church is as a body of Christ. That doesn't mean that has to be done on Sunday morning. It doesn't. You know, there's there's a lot of ways this can be done and carried out. Okay but it ought to be something that is a priority in the church. Um, and he goes on to say that this teaching has, has a very c- clear focus and purpose. He says they are to teach the, the, uh, teach the Word. These, these are given apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, shepherds. Their responsibility is to equip God's people and to build up the body of Christ. Uh, the goal of teaching is not just sharing information. The goal is not just so that you can be smart or know, you know, like be really good at Bible trivia. Okay, the point is to be equipping people and building up the church. Uh, but they are equipping and building up the church to do what? You know, equipping is kind of the idea of a soldier. Uh, if I, if you call somebody out to battle. And you don't equip them with tools to fight, you just send them to their death, right? Uh, what is it we are equipping the church as soldiers to do? Well, he says that we are, we are to equip them so that the church can be active in ministry and in building up each other in Christ. Here's how it works. And this is, this is the brilliance of God's plan. The, the, the people, who does ministry? Well, you know, a lot of times we think the ministers do ministry. Actually, the ministers, meaning like professional pastor types, are actually the one people who don't do ministry. They just teach others to do ministry. That's how it should work. That's what the picture that Paul is painting here. He's saying, look, God's appointed these key people to teach you and prepare you and equip you so that you will be enabled to do ministry so that you, as the, as the body of Christ, can build each other up as the church. So who does ministry? Well, everybody but me. You know, I do ministry too, you know, we all do ministry. But the, the main role of, of ministry to each other, of of helping each other grow in Christ, is a job that we all share together. We're all ministers in the church. Right? If you're a believer, it doesn't matter if you're ten years old or ninety years old, it doesn't matter what you're good at, what you're not good at, it doesn't even matter how much you really know about the Bible. We are called to serve one another. The word ministry literally means serve. Serve one another to build each other up in Christ. Uh, We grow by all of the members ministering, by all the members serving. Well, what do we do? What does that look like? Well, God has given all of you abilities, talents, gifts, strengths, ways that you are uniquely designed and equipped to minister to others. And what's significant is that in, in Paul's scheme, not only here but throughout the whole New Testament, uh, the church is to have two equal focuses in ministry. One is inward to itself. The other is outward to the world. Uh, what happens oftentimes, though, is we do one of those, other of those out of balance, right? Uh, we can be in a church where we're so outward focused, we never equip each other. Or you in a church where you're so inward focused that everybody's getting discipled. And being discipled, you've got all these soldiers laying around, well-equipped to the teeth for battle, uh, huddled in groups, you know, praying together, but never battling, right? And, and Paul paints this great picture. Now here the focus is not on the outward, but on the inward. Here his focus is very much on equipping each other and building each other up in Christ. We're going to look uh, later next week and, and on about what that looks like okay, and how we do that. Let me just challenge you with this: God has given you abilities, gifts, talents, strengths. Uh, you ought to be using those not only to help, you know, unsaved Thai people and, and uh, unbelievers, but first and foremost, we have a responsibility to be building up the body of Christ. Well, what does that look like? Uh, let me give you just in closing a couple practical pictures of what this looks like. And you know, the church can look like a lot of things. Okay, the church can look like a house church with twelve people. It can look like a mega church with twelve thousand people, or you know, eight hundred thousand church in Korea, whatever. Um, there's a lot of people, and it's real popular now to bash whatever you're not. You know, so if you're a mega church, it's 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 fun to just bash everybody who's not a mega church. You know, if you're a house church, it's fun to bash everybody that's not a house church. Okay, that misses the point. That misses the point. Okay, church can be a lot of things, right? It can be, house, but but it should. But it must have to be a church. It must have these key components. First of all, it must have teachers, whether they're apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or or, or teachers, gifted by and called by God to teach. All right. So if you have a fellowship group that meets. And uh, you don't have one of those people gifted who's actively teaching you the Word. It's not a church. Okay? It may be one expression of what the church is, but it's not the full expression of what church is. I'm convinced and I believe that this, this is important because God knows how easily we shift off of our foundation. Okay, One of Paul's constant worries was that people would drift away from the truth and dilute or water down or lose the gospel. He's constantly writing about this, and he knew the only way we're going to keep on our foundation and keep anchored to the gospel is if we keep reminding ourselves and teaching ourselves what it is. Okay, no one ever grows to such maturity that they're beyond teaching. Okay, uh, the more, in fact, the more I grow and the more I learn, the more I realize kind of just how clueless I am. When I graduated from Bible college, man, I knew it all. Okay? It's been a downhill slide ever since. Just downhill. Um, and we need solid teaching. So uh, you know, if you're in a place where that's not a priority, it's not the church. Okay? It may be that church is groups of people, but they're not fulfilling one of the key roles, callings, and missions of the church. It must be a place where there are gifted leaders equipping the body by good, solid teaching. Um, now that's that's not all the churches though, okay? Uh, and there's a lot of churches that they do great teaching, but they don't do anything else. Right? That's also a problem, because it's clear that the 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 church is a place where people minister to each other. And I've had many discussions about how this works. And people will say, "Well, how? You know, there's all these people in church on Sunday morning, and you do all the talking. Why don't you just shut up and let people minister to each other?" All right? Good idea. Um, not realistic. And the, the, the point is this the church is not something that happens on two hours on Sunday morning. The church is something that happens seven days a week. Uh, we ought to, we must be, the church must be in uh, what I call de, uh, ministering relationships. Okay, the other side of this is that we need to be ministering to each other, and the only way to do that is if you are in some kind of ministering relationship. Well, what's a ministering relationship? Well, it can be a lot of things. Okay, it happens oftentimes informally through casual fellowship. Uh, you know, after church today, we can all go out for lunch with people, and we could have ministering relationships with our burritos and you know Thai food or whatever you eat. Right. Uh, the the point is, we ought to be as a church connecting in relationships outside of just Sunday morning. What does that look like? Well, it can look like small groups. It can look like home groups. It can look like lunch after church. It can look like uh, counseling and mentoring. It can look like discipleship. It can Remember, one of the spiritual gifts is being kind. It can be people actually just being nice to each other. That could be actually a ministering relationship. Very healing and powerful for some people. All right? Who have never experienced that. Who um, need that, right? Uh, ministering relationships. Uh, some churches are good at programming this. Okay, Some churches have all this great network of home groups where they meet and organize. Uh, that's great. We've never been able to do that. Um, and it, it's not necessary. What is necessary is that all of us make a commitment to be building relationships within the body of Christ and relationships that are focused on mutual ministry to each other. Okay. Those two things must be true of a church: meeting to teach the word, uh, meeting in ministry relationships. Um, some people ask, "Well, well, I thought the church was supposed to be about worship." The great thing of all, you know, he says here that when that Christ is filling his church, I really believe that if we functioned at both of these levels well, if we really were being solidly taught and equipped in the word, and we're having Significant uh, mentoring, ministry relationships with each other, Christ would be and is more and more evident in our midst. Worship is far beyond just Sunday morning. You know, we praise and worship God in music and in praise, which is an awesome, powerful thing. But it's only an expression and only meaningful as it connects to what's happening all week long. If for you worship is something you only do on Sunday morning, it's not going to be very significant. It's not going to go very deep. But if you are being filled with Christ daily, and your relationships are being filled with Christ daily, and you are seeing Christ filling your homes and your workplaces with His presence, and you are finding that you respond to Him and worship crazy random times where you're just praising God for people and His gifts and His love, boy, worship on Sunday morning becomes powerful. It becomes powerful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus we just praise and thank you so much That you are filling all things with yourself That you are taking authority and dominion and power Over every every king and kingdom But most of all you long to do this in your church And you are doing it in your church Lord I thank you that uh, we have a fellowship of believers here Who represent one tiny speck of your body Uh, And we together are are maturing each other. And Lord, I thank you for each person in this fellowship who is a gift uh, to this body from you and who bring their own unique gifts and abilities and perspectives and ideas and enrich and shape and grow us together. Lord, I thank you that my spiritual growth is dependent on each person in this room. And I need them and their ministry to me to grow in you. And Lord, you have caused us to be uh, interdependent on each other. Uh, Lord, help us to live out those kind of relationships uh, daily. And Lord, we also thank you for your word and for just good teaching that, that you raise up teachers and leaders. and And even in this room are many gifted teachers who have ministries all across Thailand and across Asia teaching and ministering. Lord, we pray that every every ministry relationship we find ourselves in in, would be one that brings glory and praise to you. Uh, Lord, that we would sense our calling to be raising and growing each other up in Christ. Uh, Lord, help us do this by your power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.